0: Hi, I'm Daniel Lenzian, host of Western New York Soundstage from Buffalo Rising and Local Matters Studios. Western New York Soundstage is a podcast that looks to explore Western New York's creative economy through a series of conversations with artists, musicians, producers, directors, and authors from Western New York and beyond. On today's episode, I speak with R. Eric Thomas, playwright and author of The Folks at Home, playing alleyway theater from February 9th through March 2nd. Our Eric Thomas is an accomplished author known for his witty and insightful writing. With a keen sense of humor and a unique perspective, Thomas weaves compelling narratives that often explore the intersection of identity, culture, and personal experiences. His work, which spans collections of essays, YA novels, theatrical plays, and episodic television showcases his distinctive voice and ability to captivate audiences. I mentioned this on the podcast, but I am directing the folks at home and was delighted to connect with Eric in this interview. We have a wide-ranging conversation that covers 1970s sitcoms, set design, the craft of writing, and the importance of optimism. I could have chatted with him all day. Here's my interview with Eric. All right, Eric, thank you so much for chatting with me today, how are you? I am wonderful, how are you? I am good, I have to admit, um, uh, I've done many, 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 many interviews in my time at Buffalo Rising, but I am especially nervous about this one uh, mm. because I am directing your play at the Alleyway. I've been able to kind of live within your words for a month. And every night I think to myself, oh, my God, Eric is so smart and so funny. I'm going to look like sort of a <laughs> cheap imitation of a person in this that sort of interview tough. because no, I'm serious. I really am. So I just want to say thank you so much for agreeing to speak with me today. And I feel a little, ah, it's just because... <laughs> <laughs> no, I know I'm in the presence of uh, an incredible, incredible mind and writer.
1: Oh, uh, well, I appreciate that. And I mean, like, I've heard and seen like nothing but like the most amazing things about what you're creating there. So like, I feel that we it's a meeting of minds. like I, So I'm I'm excited to I'm excited to chat with you.
0: It's very kind. Um, I'd like to start off by saying that and I don't want to ruin the surprise for our audiences that are going to come. Mm-hmm. But there is a Buffalo reference in the folks yeah. at home. <laughs> Do you have any connection to the city?
1: One of my best friends in the entire world, Kristen Noreen, uh, grew up in Buffalo. And it's one of those things like in, in a friendship that's kind of like hangs out in the ba- in the background, you know, oh, she's from Buffalo, like a random Buffalo reference, talk about Buffalo, this and that. And in the first reading of this play, she played a role and I just, I was looking for like a punchline to, uh, to this setup and I, you know, I won't ruin it for anybody, but it just sort of came right out. And like, it's one of those things where I feel like Sometimes as a writer, I steal things from people that I know, and they're like, hmm, I'm not so sure about that. But this one, was sort of like, oh, it's just a city. And so when I found out that you all were doing the second production, I was like, yeah, this makes sense. It started off in Baltimore. It's set in Baltimore. The significant shout out is Buffalo. It's This is meant to be.
0: Yeah, I just thought that that was so fortuitous as well, to kind of sort of see that and read it in the script and be like, wow, really? That is so oh, wonderful. <laughs> Well, I'd love to ask, is there a story from your childhood that connects to all of the work that you do now being a multidisciplinary Mm. writer?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, Yeah, I think there is, actually. I... um... I, my my mother loves television and we, she and I are, are really good friends and she would talk to me about television as if they were also her not her friends it wasn't sort of like alive for her in that way but she when the episode would go off of Magnum P.I. or Murphy Brown or what have you um, she would still be thinking about the characters and she would talk to me about them um and I found that such a fascinating and beautiful relationship with TV. And I kind of developed the same kind of thing. And as a young kid, I had a really creative impulse. And also I really wanted my parents' approval. Uh, <laughs> and so I, <laughs> you know, you know, um, years yeah. of therapy have taught me that. And, um, and so I would do these little shows where different characters from the shows that they watched that I never sort of knew anything about and the shows that I watched would like hang out. So I remember mm-hmm. what specifically like one where Fozzie Bear and Magnum P. I were like doing some sort of adventure together. And I made my I was playing Fozzie, um, and my made my younger brother uh play Magnum P. I and I have no idea what happened in these little skits. But I would do them. I would do these little variety shows featuring these characters, some of whom I truly never encountered until I was an older adult, but they were so alive in my mind, um, because of my mother.
0: That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Was writing across all different mediums, was this always the goal? Or did you set out and say I want to be a novelist or a memoirist? How did um you find yourself writing?
1: I um I just I always wanted to write. Theater is my my passion. It's my it's the place I feel like is home. Um but I also love to not um, wonder where my rent is coming from. And I spent <laughs> probably about 15 years of my life uh, wondering that every month. And so, you, you know, like, and the people in this play have relationships to economic insecurity that are really close to my heart and my life. Uh, I've done most of the jobs that people do in this play. And so when the opportunity to write came about, when I, and this is true to this day, if there's an opportunity, I'm going to say yes to it. So theater was sort of like a half closed door for a very long time. Um, But then like writing on the internet became an option. And so I wrote a column for L magazine for a number of years. And that led to a book. And then that led to TV. And that led to people being more interested in my theater. And it just keeps going. I feel like it is all part of the same. It is all fruit of the same tree. Because I'm interested in storytelling. I'm interested in um, reaching for hope, no matter what, you know, what kind of story we're telling. Um, I'm interested in the ways that, like, a, a very sort of Chekhovian idea of laughing through tears, um, or laughing so hard you cry, or crying and then turning that crying into a laugh. I'm um, very much, you know, the, in, it's Chekhov, but it's also Steel Magnolias, and I feel like those are <laughs> those are two of my big <laughs> poles. And so, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I'm just trying to find visions of humanity, um, and and figure out the best container to capture that humanity. And also, you know, no, that, yeah, I'm gonna put it there. I was gonna make a joke, but that's that's all. I I have to, I have to really put a lid on myself sometimes. <laughs>
0: well and certainly i I also think the character is certainly uh an interest too right because the characters are so rich and so nuanced and there's there's a lot to these characters that also feel like they could or they will kind of live on beyond this play
1: yeah yeah i really i hope that thank you for saying that that's my big hope in the grand scheme i hope that all my characters kind of Will live on, but especially these characters. And I think that part of it is the DNA of sitcoms where a sitcom is designed to go on forever. And that is both a beautiful idea, but also like a little bit of a scary idea because a a sitcom you never sort of necessarily advance unless there is. A child in the sitcom, in which case you're like, well, I guess they're graduating now. But you're always kind of stuck in this kind of loop, which is a little bit of purgatory. And the reason I think that this this is a play instead of a sitcom is because we really need to get these people out of this purgatory that they're in and set them on a path and knowing, you know... And I don't think it'll spoil anything for audiences to know, like, this is a comedy. It, oh, ends, yeah. Not, yeah, it ends well, you know, like, there, <laughs> there is not a tragedy waiting for you at the end of the second act, but they have to get there. But then once they're there, it reminds me, I've been watching um, the television show The Bear, which I really like, and it's categorized as a comedy because it's half an hour, but it's actually mostly dramatic. But there is a sense that these people have conquered a lot of the demons that we met them with. And once you conquer those demons, you can go forever. And that's an exciting thing for a character for me. You know, like the idea that like the process of being in a theater with a person is watching them wrestle with with themselves, with with uh, their worst impulses, with an angel that is blocking their blessing and then seeing them like soar after that.
0: One of the conversations that we were having early and i want to say that the conversations just kind of around this play with the cast have been so beautiful where some nights they will just sort of sit on the set in the hallway and just talk Mm. to each other and kind of have these beautiful connections but one of our earlier conversations was i think I thought to myself, okay, like in the direction of this, like if there's one kind of idea that I can bring forward to help us advance the play, um, it would be the word optimism. Because I feel right. like in tragedy, we, are, we allow ourselves to kind of sit and feel the thing where in a sitcom or in a comedy, we always have to sort of, try to, when we can, advocate for the optimistic choice to keep looking forward, to keep pressing forward, to keep saying, okay, uh, um, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to work every day, and then I come back, and I come back to you, right? Like, Mm -hmm. those, those lines in the play that we have to keep sort of advocating for optimism. And obviously, you know, things happen, and sometimes we can't always, you know, make an optimistic choice, but I feel like that's also sort of in the DNA of the play.
1: Yeah, I think, I appreciate that. Yeah, I hope so. It is, you know, and it's like, I think optimism is a very hard choice. Um, and I don't think sometimes it's not a choice at all. Sometimes it's like, this is my setting, but I don't know that I can find that that setting. You know, that, that part of me is not working. You know, I, I was very interested in look working with characters for whom, like, I think many people would say, well, there's nothing really to be optimistic here about, you know, like you're facing some, some tough stuff. And I'm also really interested in looking at characters who have positions of otherness, you know, whether it's around race, gender, sexual orientation, economic status, and have their trauma not be the reason that they are on stage in front of us. And so if it's not about, if this isn't a story about your trauma, it's not a story about the worst thing that ever happened to you, then then maybe it's a story about where you find hope or what you get out of bed for in the morning. I think the character of um, Brandon is so. I, I love that. I mean, I love all these characters, obviously. But I, 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 you know, you quoted something that he said, and I think that he is such a fascinating character because he is not necessarily... You may not read him ex- um, as as sort of this beacon of hope, necessarily. He's sort of just like, he's like, knows the grindstone. You meet him, he's going to work. Every time you see him, he's coming from work or going to work or doing some kind of work. He's stressed, but his philosophy is, I stay in the room. I get up every day. I go do my thing. I come back home to you. And that is that is such a beautiful, that is sort of the core of of any relationship. And But every relationship, I think, is built on on optimism, the idea that it that that we will be together tomorrow, it's not guaranteed. Um, and it's not built into vows, you know. It's like, oh, I promise to do this. Okay, whatever. What's happening? What are you gonna do?
0: And I and I think the same thing is reflected in Pamela and Verner's relationship and the actor is like when in scene what is it two right when they're kind of uh, um you know having the sort of a very difficult early conversation in the play and spoil anything and the two actors just kind of put without looking put their hands on top of one another as Mm. it is so beautiful Mm. it's so hard
1: yeah yeah and i like i i get excited about the possibility of talking about different relationships at different stages you know relationships with diff- with more rings on the tree um and what that can look like and then the ways that maybe you don't even know i don't know that like you know pamela and vernon both give advice about how to be in a relationship and that's good advice i think but i think there's also an example that they're setting and that I think Maureen is also setting. And I think that, um, not Alice, uh, that Brittany is setting. Yeah. And I really wanted that for these two characters, particularly because I started writing this in 2012, which was right around the time that marriage equality was passed in, uh, Maryland. And I kept thinking about how for, for queer couples, for gay couples and lesbian couples, um, they're, are not necessarily always models for how to do the thing that we have had been fighting for, have, fighting to, to have. Um, and and I think that's also true. I think I, I write a lot of plays about queer elders and this idea that like, you know, I had grandparents in my life, you know, they were straight. And as far as I know, and um, but like, I didn't meet an older queer person until I was fully an adult. And what does that do to you? And so if you are thinking, marriage isn't part of your life um, for most of your life, no matter, you know, even if you're coming of age after marriage equality, um, you have a lot of learning to do. And so it was necessary that all that, all that learning had to come inside the house. It had to be there, you know? Um, and I think these are, they are human relationships, but I think they're good relationships. I think Maureen and, you know, I mean, you've read, you, you know, and I, I think I make it clear in the last scene that I think Maureen's relationship with her husband is also a, Very a, deep. a, a good one, you know?
0: Very deep, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how that sort of, those uh, uh, stories shift each other. You know, and last night too, uh, uh, we were in a, um, a designer run, sort of a stumble through, and the player and the, um, rather the uh, costume designer uh, said, you know, I'm going to go back and switch some things after seeing it. Because of the influence the characters have on each other mm-hmm. through the course of the play.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: mm-hmm. I just said, "Oh, tell me more." And, you know, they went into it in this really beautiful way. And I, I just thought, wow, like how gorgeous to sort of have that reflected, um even in the design element of
1: oh, uh, I love that. yeah, I and that's the most exciting thing for me. my the most exciting time in a plays process development for me is that like first read through design presentation because i get to release this pe- this thing that has been sort of on my laptop and inside workshops and then everybody else gets to make something on top of that and with me and what i love is that so many times designers you know even in orig- you know in, in premieres designers take the script and they're they go and they do their thing and they come back and they they it's kind of like getting an X-ray of your body, but they're not pointing out like mm, you should. <laughs> you should get that checked out. They're pointing out. They're like, "There's your heart." You know, isn't that interesting? Oh, that's where your blood moves through your veins, and this is what I think we can do with that. Um, and it's it's so thrilling to me, and it's such a gift. I, I
0: feel the same as a director after kind of sitting with the piece for a long time, and going through the casting and all that kind of stuff. I was having an early conversation, um, with the scenic designer. And uh, what she reflected back to me saying was, well, she said, here's the set, because I said, it's so important for me that the set feels like a place where we want these people to stay. And the set is never working against them. So there shouldn't be any angles or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And when she quoted me on that, I was like, oh, I did say that, didn't I? But, you know, but it's really funny to to kind of hear things reflected back to you in an x mm-hmm. of your own self.
1: Yeah, yeah. I love that. And I love what you said. Uh, you know, the set shouldn't be working against them. There shouldn't be angles. That's, that's really beautiful um and i think that's the beauty of and the value of being able to create a set um of a home you know because it's i I, you know this play is sort of in conversation with you know the the grand tradition of setting plays in living rooms in homes but um you know and, and and like both sort of from a uh, a sort of well-made play, um, uh, space, but also, you know, like, uh, a Raisin in the Sun obviously is, is, is in there and all these other things, um, Piano Lesson, all mm-hmm, these things. Mm-hmm. But, um, I think there's a real beautiful opportunity that the home itself can be in this home set can be, um, uh, a like not so much a realistic thing but so much a like a gesture of 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 the potential yeah. um i was talking to um i was listening to a, a design presentation from the set designer for there's a production of this going up in indianapolis uh in a couple weeks and uh she was like it was hard to get everything Onto this set, you made a real challenge. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, I didn't know. But I think that's also really exciting that, that this is both a house, but it is also an energy. Um, and so in that case, and it's also a sitcom set if you want it to be, and so bends these rules um, and lets all these things happen inside of it without pushing back against these people.
0: And also a real kind of, um, I don't know, uh, exciting opportunity, we have a very small outside space but how, how? what happens when, you know, three people have to be in a small outside space? And yeah. how does that change their spatial relationship? And how can you tell a story through that? Which I think has also been really kind of fun and exciting for us, kind of having the sort of very large and beautiful set inside the alleyway space.
1: Yeah. Oh, I love that. And that's the other thing. It's like, th- this is, you know, this is, I think, a play that can... That encourages, like we people should can be squeezed all up together, and that's that's that is great. That's the idea, you know. Um, I'm I'm, and that's the thing that's so exciting about getting to keep seeing it done. You know, the the first time it was done, it was um a it was it was on the Baltimore Center stages main stage. It's uh, maybe three hundred sixty five seat theater proscenium. Um, and so was, the house was huge it was like the size of a of the house um and i was like i i want to move in here you know and that was exciting but i'm also like oh this is a play my hope is that it can play in in all different sizes and constructions of theaters and the if it gets smaller and people are bumping their shoulders yeah that's what being in a relationship is
0: yeah and and, and that's what the reality of the situation might
1: be yeah, right? and
0: yeah. how and how can we embrace it as opposed to sort of Back away from it. Yeah. Um, I'd love to ask because the sort of tagline says, like, a, um, um, sometimes a Baltimore sitcom or mm-hmm. uh, uh, sometimes 70s sitcoms are referenced when talking about this play. Um, well, were you a fan of them? Did that, uh, how did they speak to you and how are they kind of in the DNA of the play?
1: Yeah, I found myself, I guess they would play the like the Norman Lear sitcoms of the 70s, particularly Jefferson's and uh, Good Times. Uh, would play in syndication i think maybe right after i got home from school when i was a kid Um, and i was just so compelled by them and i think there are three things that were really compelling to me one it was they were one it was more black people than i normally saw on television outside Mm of cosby show or different world um which um which were what were what was on tv when i was growing up and so there was this like this real representation, you know? Two, there was a conversation with, around social policy and politics and difference and disagreement that had a comedic vernacular, and that was very exciting to me. Three, a good number of the performers in these shows came from, like, vaudevillian-type backgrounds. They were trained comedians, they were trained stand-ups, they were trained um, multi-hyphenates who were very used to working in front of live audiences with a lot of different stuff going on, um, whether it's formal vaudeville or Chitlin circuit or, um, or just sort of like stage plays in, in general. Um, and that makes a huge difference. I mean, and, and, and um, that makes a difference in what's possible on screen. That makes a difference in the ways that people understand how to land a joke. Um, just watching George Jefferson and uh, Florence snipe at each other is such extreme um there's so many different levels of comedy happening physical comedy verbal comedy the rat-a-tat-tat of 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 great direction um and then like and then the writing and so that was just so exciting to me so it it was mostly those two um i got into mod later on and it wasn't playing in syndication, I guess, when I was growing coming up. And then I would like watch Stanford and Son, but it like, didn't really, it didn't connect with me in the same way. I think I was also really interested in money, um, and so I um, as as an idea. And so like the 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 one two punch of Good Times, which was which which was about poverty, um, and the Jeffersons these two different families, black families, living in apartment buildings in hugely different circumstances it was very interesting to me. I grew up in a, a red line neighborhood in downtown Baltimore, not in the neighborhood where this, um, this play is set. It was this play, is, is, it's um Pig town is mostly white and a little bit more mixed. Uh, this was an all black neighborhood um, that uh, there was just a lot of abandonment um, and there was not a lot of hope. And so I was just very curious what it looked like to um, have hope and those these shows um, were a great entryway into that.
0: Thank you. For me, one of the things that I extrapolated from thinking about them right was the fact that like there could be sort of these great moments of humor in these plays but i still think about it in the director's note i mentioned like the performance of asterella as florida in good mm-hmm. times with the damn 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 the losing of her husband and that that, that inside of this context is something that's really funny we can experience something that's heartbreaking in three mm-hmm. words that resonates you know well past the show going off the television
1: absolutely yeah that moment that's so you know it's like and there's another play i wrote called crying on television which i don't like i i I, it's it's not as successful um i think dramatically as as this one is um but it is it is it is engaging with the idea of black people in sitcom in, in sitcom vernacular and so there is absolutely like a damn 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 moment in this sick in, in this play because it is both part of like meme culture, but it is also, yeah, Esther Roll as a sort of great comedian, but also a great dramatic actress, you know. Yes. Um, in the same way, and like you can you can see that that flexibility, you know, like I think, you know, Isabel Sanford is another great example, like, you know, a great dramatic actress. John Amos is a great dramatic actor, you know. Mm-hmm. Um uh, and, and so to be able to hold both of those things, again, it's Chekhovian, you know, I, I really feel like Norman Lear was writing was giving us Chekhov in the mm. 70s. Mm. And I, I don't think that we are done with that. I think that we live. I think that it is harder to write about, quote unquote, political disagreement in this time. Um. Uh. You know, for various various reasons, you know, which is, and I think, I think there there has always been some curiosity in this play about like who voted for who, and I'm like, babe, that's not what's going on in this play. Which is not to say it's not important; it's deeply important. It affects everybody in this play, but this the the angle of the light is is different in this play, just like it, it's sort of different for Lear and different for Chekhov. Um, and I think that there are ways of pointing out where we miss each other, where we find each other and how to find the, both the drama and the humor that can be illuminating and helpful. Um, and, and I'm, that's what I'm working on doing.
0: Well, I think you've done it. (laughs) Um, what has surprised you about the audience reactions out to the play?
1: Oh, I, you know, I, I was a little nervous that people would be, uh, uh, wouldn't, would, wouldn't necessarily embrace it or would be like, why am I not watching this on TV? And some people have said, like, when is this going on TV? And I'm like, yeah. talk to my agents. I don't know. Um, but I I, I think that, you know, once, you know, but people also really like being in person, really like to sort of sit and laugh and be in the same room with these people. Um, so that's been a happy surprise. Um, I, I love student matinees. Um, and uh, the student reactions to this play have been, really really great because some some of it they get a student like I always find it fascinating when plays are about money um and where students are sort of coming in uh to it sideways or not kind of quite understanding all the different um factors um but the way that um Brandon talks in this play has been a a great point of conversation um mm-hmm. at every point even in casting and I love that um uh and you know like brandon has a uh, a way of talking that reflects the people that he grew up around um and the the people that he knows um maybe in other parts of his life and you know and brandon is a very sort of real person and and that uh, and and that style of talk doesn't sort of reflect anything untoward but there is always kind of a question about it like what's going on with this guy and audiences will hear it I you know I'm not gonna you get into weeds when you start describing <laughs> what it is um and I think that's been exciting it's been exciting for every every student matinee I've had questions that um they're always like why does he talk like that I'm like do you know somebody who talks like this and why do you why do they talk like that you know and and then all of a sudden they're like oh okay cool you know Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the question certainly has come up right um and i was like i think that if we just embrace the text and kind of figure it out in the room like we don't need to reach out to eric to say you know tell us why or mm-hmm. you know and so i've kind of uh, uh, questions like that about this have come up and i've been really excited to see how it's developed in the rehearsal room
1: yeah yeah oh that's i mean it's exciting to me i think it's a beautiful it's one of these things that you write plays and you're like oh this is going to be this will be a thing and this will be a thing i naively was like i forgot Um, until this play started going out and people would read it and they'd be like, what's going on with this guy? And I'm like, Oh, right, right, right. I'm just like, I know so many guys like this, you know, and I forget. Um, um, But it's also one of these plays and I, I really treasure the opportunity to write plays where you, maybe there is a question that you have inside your head that you don't, that the play is not even going to acknowledge or, engage with because it's a question that you can figure out on your own you know as an audience member
0: or do you need to do you need to know the why like do you need to, or can you just experience it
1: yeah yeah i mean and like i i try and do that all the time i've written two memoirs um and comedic memoirs and i write all about all kinds of different things in my life but one of the things people always sort of point out they're like you never write about like your coming out story i'm like oh yeah no it's not not your business you know um and they're like oh it's just like fascinating you just like you know you talk about being queer you talk about being married you talk about dating and i'm like yeah and so if it raises a question for you of like how did his parents respond or how, what was you know what was hard that's a, a great place for you to sort of ask yourself um what you really need to know and whether you already have the answer and i i, I hope that that is also the case in this play you know like we, you know, there, there's a little bit more coming out talk here. You know, Maureen has a very funny story about it. Oh, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, gosh, I love her. But, like, there are questions that'll, that'll boil up, you know, like mm-hmm. that I think are sometimes bookwork questions that the actors and you all, all figure out. And then there are things that the audience is like, oh, how funny, I wonder why they acted like that. And you're like, well, you know, that's where empathy comes in. And that's what makes a playgoing experience really great for me.
0: Well, and also, I mean, you've referenced Chekhov throughout this whole kind of conversation, and there are sort of uh, characters in that where we don't know why they respond a certain way, right? And I also think that that is one of the primary differences between the media, uh, between sort of the media of uh, of TV, the mediums, not media, mediums of TV and film, right? Where when we look at TV, a lot of times, the um, um, perhaps different in your case, uh, but sort of it's over, it's encapsulated, Murphy Brown and you know, um, uh, Harriet Winslow are going back, right? Whereas I think with theater or with novels or with memoir, it lives in us and works on us in a different way yeah. and asks us to engage with the material and have conversations around it, sometimes in a way that I think the, the sort of genre when we think of kind of like more 2000 sitcoms doesn't.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think that it's, it's always good practice for an audience to be reminded that you are allowed to think about this um and i think that a lot of art that is there's a good there's another strain of art um of many forms that's telling you you can turn your mind off you can scroll you can you can do whatever and you look i am all about accessible theater experiences i you know whatever i do i have an opinion about scrolling in the theater not publicly but i (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, I do think that there is an energy that says nothing is worth thinking about or considering. And once when you get to that point, that gets very scary because that says that nothing in your life is worth thinking about or considering. And I don't think that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, this is such a loaded question, but I, I uh, really just want
0: to ask it. You know, you have you mentioned uh, your two memoirs. Uh, there's also a YA novel. You've written for TV. You've written for Elle magazine. Uh, you've written a number of plays. Uh, what are you most proud of?
1: Oh gosh, that is a great question. I know unfair, but
0: I have to ask.
1: I there when a play works, um, it is like nothing else because it feels like a high wire balancing act. I'm very proud of my books. Um, um, I, I I think if uh, you you know. Yeah, I'm very proud of my books, um, but uh, this play, um, there's a play called "Backing Track" that has a similar energy. Um, uh, that's about a um, falling uh, uh, a young man falling in love while grieving, um, and maybe one other um, are plays that really find the hope and that is something that is so hard for me. I feel like I'm a real Pollyanna, ring-a-ding, optimistic kind of person, but I also struggle uh, with that. And it is very easy for me to write plays that um, reflect the lived experience, um, the reality. And so to say, I'm gonna acknowledge reality, but I'm also going to say that there is a way for us to build a ladder to some other kind of experience and for that to actually ring true, that's that that's extraordinary to me. So yeah, I, I think I mean I'm not just saying that because we're we're having a conversation with this play, but I do think that this play is one of the things I'm most proud of.
0: Beautiful, thank you. I'd love to just end by
1: asking, you know, you, can you share um, anything that's next for you or uh, that's next for the play? Yeah, I mean, you know, hopefully people are continuing to read it and consider it for next season. It's a real mystery. It's sort of like uh, Oscar voting or, um, you know, electoral politics, I have no idea. Um, But I hope that the play continues to get produced. It's being produced, uh, obviously, here in uh, Buffalo. um, um, And it's being produced in Indianapolis. um, And then I have a new play um, called An Army of Lovers that's premiering here in Philadelphia. Um, in May. And I'm very excited about that. It's a very different kind of play. It's kind of like Succession meets Audre Lorde, who is a, um, a Black lesbian uh, poet, writer, activist, thinker. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's got a very different kind of energy. Um, and uh, it's just kind of about the, 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 the question of whether you can hold on to your politics and, and your personhood inside of an increasingly corporate structure um mm. and uh i think it's uh i think it's a really good play so i'm excited about that
0: okay i'm just gonna quickly look up train ticket to philadelphia no
1: wait if you come come i will <laughs> no i'd love to I'd i'll fetch you down here
0: <laughs> oh bless um listen I, I always like to end my interviews by asking is there anything that you feel was left unsaid or anything to share with our
1: listeners i don't i think we we covered a lot of great stuff i just think you know i i think Not to be promotional about it, but this is a play about welcoming people back into a room. And I think that, you know, I know the theater community in Buffalo is so vibrant and I'm like, I'm just really honored to be welcomed into that room. Well, it's been incredible kind of uh, just being able to collaborate with your words
0: in the room. Thank you so much for your time today. It was really fantastic to talk to you.
1: Thank you. It was really great
0: talking to you. It was fantastic to talk to Eric about the folks at home at Alleyway Theater. If you'd like more information, visit alleyway.com. This episode was produced by Jessica Marinelli. Addison Schoonmacher engineered this episode. In addition to this podcast, you can check out our local event guides posted monthly on buffalorising.com. Make sure you subscribe to the show. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Thanks for listening to Western New York Soundstage from Buffalo Rising and Local Matters Studios.